Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. What is Jesus doing now? Throughout history, several people have claimed to be God or a special prophet from God. I am wondering, can you name any of them? Muhammad, yeah, prophet from God, yeah. There's not many you could name, not many who've claimed to be God that you could name because, of course, they didn't rise from the dead. They were fallen away and forgotten. And so nobody else has pulled off a resurrection Now let's just clarify the difference between, before we move on, between a resurrection and a resuscitation. Resuscitations happen all the time. You even see them in scripture. I think eight different times you see like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter or someone like that who's resuscitated. Uh, Even today, someone dies on a hospital bed, they're gone for 30 minutes and they get resuscitated. That's not resurrection. Resurrection is when you die, they bury you, put you in the ground, and later, you bring yourself back to life in a glorified body, one that can operate in a dimension we don't even understand yet. And Jesus Christ proved who he claimed to be through the power of the resurrection. Now, you granted, you might be able to fake your own death, but it would be impossible to fake your resurrection into a glorified body and then stay alive for the next 1,990 years, I mean, stay alive as long as he has. Because with every passing year, there would be fewer and fewer people to support your claim. And that's why, for instance, today, nobody claims that Moses is still alive. Nobody claims that Muhammad is still alive. Nobody claims that Buddha or Krishna are still alive. Nobody claims that any other great philosopher or spiritual or religious teacher from the past Uh, is still alive today. It's a unique claim made only by Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about the resurrection, some proofs and how the, the resurrection changed everything. Jesus resurrecting into a glorified body. And then in Acts 1, our anchor passage today, we get the account of his ascension. It said, after he said this, and we'll come back to what he said, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so that's why... uh, Looking at Jesus' glorious return is the same way he left, the same way he'll come back. Now, when he ascended into heaven, you expect this, when I read this, I expect it to read a certain kind of way. Like Jesus started ascending and going and going and going and and kind of like, you know, have you ever watched a plane take off and it takes off and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You've seen this, yes, until it, it disappears. And you can just kind of nod. It's lonely up here. So just kind of nod your head, yes, okay. Uh, that's not what it describes because that's not what happened. What happened was Jesus ascended. They could still see him. And then a cloud 
covered him. And then he, he disappeared. And a cloud in scripture represents the presence of God. And so uh, it's just amazing. Sometimes we think heaven is very, very far away. And in fact, sometimes we'll see in the news, uh, you know, they've sent a telescope and they take a picture of something farther away than we've ever seen before. And it's this amazing, glorious thing. And they'll ask, is this the heavens? Is this heaven? And like, that is baloney. That's not... Heaven is very near. It's very close. Stephen the martyr, it says when he's being martyred, that heaven's opened up and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. That what was veiled when he ascended was open to Stephen in that moment. So heaven is very, very near. We just can't see it. And I, I don't really know what to say about that other than let that be crazy, right? Let that be, be amazing that heaven is close. But what I want to ask today is since Jesus is alive today, what is he doing now? And what has he been doing for the past almost 2,000 years? And what will he be doing until he returns? Is he going to work, playing Mario Kart, doing the dishes? Like, oh wait, that's my life. Or like, what's the right, what, what's Jesus doing? Like, and the Bible actually gives several things that he has been doing. We're going to look at four of them uh, this weekend is number one, if you're taking notes, he is keeping his family secure. That's what Jesus is doing. And this makes sense because everything that happens in history on a daily basis is peripheral to the overarching purpose of the universe. And that is that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. Now, God's family is like unlike any other family. And there's a big difference between human families and every, because every human family is temporary. They don't last. People grow up, people move away, people get married, start their own families, there are separations, there are divorces, there are deaths. But God's family, your spiritual family is permanent. It's eternal and it's never going to end. It will last forever. But God doesn't want you uh, just only in his family, he also wants you to develop family characteristics. So not the characteristics of the world or of the enemy, but in other words, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. And he wants you to learn to be full of truth like his son, Jesus Christ, and take on Family characteristics of love. So to be full of truth and love, truth and grace, just as Jesus was. And take on his character, to have your character conformed, to have the family characteristics of God's family. Now, becoming part of God's family is not automatic. And it doesn't happen to everybody. Everybody on earth is created and loved by God. And everybody on earth has a purpose for their life. But not everybody fulfills that God-given purpose. You can totally miss it because not everyone has accepted God's grace and his invitation to be a part of his family. Galatians 3 tells us how we be a part of it. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Meaning we all have equal value in the eyes of God. 
And these are still distinctions, truths in our lives. Uh, This is talking about salvation, that all people must be saved no matter who they are, where they come from, they must be saved through faith in Christ. And once they're saved, they have the same rights and privileges of salvation and the same rights and privileges of being an equal member of the family of God, united in Christ. But what's the thing that we do that demonstrates that relationship? It says in baptism. Baptism. That baptism is the doorway to the family of God. It says, I'm, I'm with Christ and I'm with them. And it's this unifying experience for the family of God. So just while we're here on this, before we move on for it, instead of doing this in, in the announcements, I'll tell you, we are celebrating baptisms next weekend in all our services. Uh, so if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized, uh, well, there, that verse right there, is ton- that's, you need to take that step and we'd love to help you with that. If maybe you were uh, baptized uh, as an infant or a situation where you hadn't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ yet. We'd love to help you with your baptism since putting your faith and trust in Christ. I'd also love to invite you, just because we're here now too, uh, to uh, next Sunday night, we're going to have a pool party at the Belton High Blue Wellness Center, 5.30 to 7. But we love to kick these off with baptisms. So some people would prefer to be baptized there. Maybe it's easier to get in and out of or something like that. And so we all gather around and celebrate baptism before we begin. And then you can bring your neighbors or your friends or someone with you. And uh, we'll just have a fun pool party uh, after that until 7 o'clock. You can sign up for the baptism on the app or on the communication card as well. But let's get back to this here, is that he's keeping his family secure. And like any loving father, God doesn't want to lose any of his children. And of course, there are a lot of evil forces in the world that would try to hurt God's family, God's children. But Jesus says in John 10 that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. He is keeping his his family secure. Now let me ask you this question. I give them eternal life. When does eternal life begin? Does it begin uh, the moment you die? Wrong, no. Eternal life begins the moment that you invite the spirit of Christ into your life and trust Christ. And from that second, you have eternal life. Now, there may be moments after that where you feel what I would call when it's inconvenient to be a Christian. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. When you really want to do something to someone on the road or something like that, and it's really inconvenient that I'm a Christian right now. But it goes far beyond that. If there's time you want to to go to this party or, Lord, I want to do this or uh, I want to take this or be involved in this, and you squirm and you wanna let go of God's hand. But like any loving father, he ain't letting go. And you can go do that stuff and take part of that stuff, but it's why you feel the conviction from the spirit the whole time because he is drawing you back to his side. He's pulling you back toward those family characteristics of love and truth. And he's gonna keep you secure. He is keeping his family secure, number two, What is Jesus doing now? He's interceding on our behalf. What does it mean to intercede? 
Uh, it means that it's when you're an advocate on someone else's uh, behalf. So like you speak up for somebody. When you speak up for somebody, you're interceding. When you pray for somebody beside yourself, that's a form of interceding. You're speaking up for someone on their behalf. It's called intercession. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus is called your advocate in heaven. And so you stumble, you fall, you fumble, you sin, you fail. He's your intercessor. And Jesus is representing you to God. In Hebrews chapter seven, it says, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood, notice that, we'll come back to it, lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So what does a priest do? A priest represents God to people and represents people to God. And in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of priests. But in the New Testament, you don't need a priest anymore because Jesus lives forever as your priest and he gave a once and for all sacrifice. And he says, we come to God through him and he represents God to us and represents us to God. And he's always interceding for us, asking God to help us. Now, many Christians grow up with the tradition of asking Mary or other saints who are already gone, uh, already in heaven to, to pray for us. So pray for us or intercede for us, Mary or St. Thomas or St. Matthew or so on. And just a tradition, asking the saints to intercede, to pray. But if you already have God, the Father, loving you, and you have Jesus, his son, interceding for you, and you have the Holy Spirit uh, taking your groans and your confusion and is praying for you, do you really need anybody else on your team? Like if Jesus is representing you, you got God himself, who else do you need? And the only one, the only one with the right to bring a charge against you has already said not guilty. In Romans 8.34, it says, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us, interceding for us. And you might think, well, you don't know what I've done. I've been unfaithful. I've been neglectful. You don't know what I think about. But there are four assurances right here in this verse for every follower of Jesus Christ that God will not condemn us. Four ways we know this to be true. Jesus died, Jesus lives, he's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. Now, you will not be condemned. You still may have to face some consequences for sin, and I face consequences for sin on this earth, but you will not ultimately be condemned. Now, when you realize God will not condemn you, what does that cause you to do? Does that make you want to sin more? Of course not. It makes you want to take on more family characteristics, to be holy as he is holy. Instead of excusing sin, it draws us to the nature of God, to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
because our fear of condemnation is conquered and Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He's keeping his family secure, but what else is he doing? Scripture is clear that what Jesus is doing now is number three, preparing a home for us in heaven. And Jesus promised he would do this before he went to the cross. In fact, uh, the day before he goes to the cross, I'm sure all the pain and the agony and, and all of it is on his mind, but what's he choosing to think about? He's thinking about his mission. He's thinking about the glory of the Father. He's thinking about you. And this is what Jesus said right before he, he goes to the cross. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And then he says, very matter-of-factly, and you know the way to where I am going. And then aren't you just so grateful for, Tom, for Thomas who speaks up and says, uh, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. Uh, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, you know the way because you're looking at the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him because you're looking at me. And that's the promise of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way for you and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I remember one time traveling with my cousin and you know when you travel, uh, for me, I, I used to just really kind of worry, not as much anymore because I've seen it work out enough, but just all the thoughts of, are we going to get to the airport in time, you know, and we get, you know, are we going to get this? There's just a sense of relief through everything. Okay, you got to the airport in time, no flat tire, no thing. Go through security. Okay, you're relieved. They, they, they let me through security with all my snacks and everything. Okay, good. And then you go and you go to get on the plane. And when that thing scans green from your phone, you're always grateful that, all right, there's enough room on the plane for me. And then I just think, are they going to have enough rental cars? Because if you've ever been that spot where you're standing there and there's no rental car, you're just hoping and you get there. You're relieved, okay, when you get there, there's enough rental cars, they had enough. Then when you get to the hotel, are they gonna have my hotel room ready? Well, there's one time traveling with my cousin to go hiking and we get to the hotel that we'd booked and we are counting on this room because we're in a town, there's just pretty much one street with these hotels out in the middle of nowhere and the town is packed, it's peak season. If there's no room, we're gonna have to sleep in our car or something. And so we go check in and it's, it's pretty late, late enough that maybe they gave our room away. And we're standing there at the counter, we give her our IDs and everything, and there's this long pause as she's looking at the computer and cousin and I just kind of look at each other and I'm looking down, just bracing myself. And she says, Mr. Sholey, Mr. Walter, we've been expecting you. We have a room prepared for you. And just the relief, and this was like a Holiday Inn Express, so I don't know why she's saying all this, you know, but she's like, we got a room prepared for you. We go to the room, it's not unkempt, it's not dirty, it's been prepared for us. Jesus is preparing a room for you. And that is a relief. 
And the amazing fact is, is when you go to heaven, if you're a believer, you're not going to have to stand at some gate and be put through some high-pressure situation of whether or not you're going to get through or not. Jesus is going to usher you in and say, there is a room prepared for you. I've been preparing a place for you, and we will go to our real home. In Philippians 3.20, it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And the God who could speak the universe into existence has been preparing a place for us. And it's going to be like nothing you could possibly imagine. I mean, we live in a three-dimensional world. There are dimensions we don't even know about. All right, there are elements we have not even discovered or don't even know about. In fact, every single example that you've seen in heaven Uh, or you've seen of heaven in the movies or TV, just throw them all out. They're not even close. Like there are colors we've never even seen and we can't even understand how amazing it's going to be. If this imperfect planet, this broken, fallen place still has the glory of God breaking through and can be amazing at times, how much more amazing is going to be the place that Jesus has prepared for us and everything is the way the fall is reversed and everything is the way that he wants it to be. Let's read this verse together, 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And it will, I know we like to say this all the time, but it will blow your mind. And I can't even explain it to you. I wouldn't even know how to begin. You've never seen it. You've never heard it. Can't imagine it. But he says, you've got to join God's family to get to your, where you are a citizen of, to your new home. And that's a choice. He doesn't force you. It's a choice to put your faith and your love in his son who came to save you. But that's what he's doing. He's preparing a place for you. He is, he's interceding for you. He's keeping his family secure. And I'll tell you, the more of our church family that have died and are in heaven now, and the more of my friends and loved ones who are there, the sooner I want to go there and the sooner I want to get there. Amen? But there's a fourth factor, one that Jesus has been doing, and that is he is authorizing us to finish the assignment. And right before Jesus went back to heaven, he gave his last words. And that's where we started. It said, after he said this. Well, after he said what? And uh, You know, many times uh, we don't know that our last words are going to be our last words. But Jesus knows exactly what's happening here. And he knows that he's about to ascend into heaven. And so if he wanted to say anything more important in this moment... He knows that he has the opportunity to do that. If there was anything more important for him to tell us, then he would have said it. And Jesus chooses this moment to give what's called the Great Commission, the instructions he gives to everybody in God's family. It's not for, uh, it's not just for pastors or for priests or nuns or monks or bishops or it's not just for full-time missionaries. It's for normal, everyday, it's for you and me everyday followers of Jesus. And here's what he says. It's called the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. As Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
He's just, he's saying, I'm telling you, I've got the authority. I have conquered hell and the grave. I've walked out with the keys and I have all authority. And I'm about to authorize you for this huge assignment to help me complete it. So therefore, because I have all authority, go and make disciples of all nations. So go and do the, go spread. Just, he's like, just like I made you disciples, go make more disciples. Tell them about my love for them, my plan for them. Call them to repentance. Uh, tell them I want them part of my family. Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So why do we do baptism so often? Because that's what we're commanded to do. Like you're, we're commanded by Jesus to be baptized, to baptize one another. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now Jesus says, I've got all authority and I'm in charge of history and I'm authorizing this very big assignment that I want you to complete before I can start the next leg of the journey, the, the next leg of the story, the next age. Like we're in the church age right now and he is authorizing us for this assignment and we've got to finish it before the next thing starts. And he says the assignment is for everybody in God's family that we're to pass on the good news to everybody else. Now those of you that are already stepped across the line, like you've already trusted in Christ, you did that because someone fulfilled the great commission to you. Somebody told, somebody told you. It may have been a parent or a grandparent or an author or a, a pastor or preacher or teacher. It may have been a friend or a coworker, but someone fulfilled the great commission to you. Have you told anybody? Have you fulfilled it to anybody else? Now, you may have needed to hear it. Like when I listen to people's testimonies, one thing I hear is that it's often several people that had to share their faith with them before they came to believe. And they may, they may be waiting to see, is this real in your life? They may need some more people to share it, share it with them. But there is a chain in your life that goes all the way back to this event and this moment. And I'm not gonna break that chain. <laughs> And this is the hinge point. A lot of people, when it comes to Jesus' glorious return, are getting out their maps and charts and they're trying to figure out when Christ is coming back. And so before you send that stuff to me, I'll just save you the effort. Here would be my response. Is Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. Like there's no code to break here. There's nothing to figure out. The, the mission that we're to go on is to fulfill the Great Commission. And if Jesus doesn't know, believe me, you're not going to figure it out. But Jesus has given us a commission and it will be fulfilled. In fact, here's one sign you need to know. It's right here in Matthew 24. Jesus is describing uh, um, what the end times will look like. And he says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Before we move on, Jamie, but this... Like, this is what we want to help you with. You say, well, why do I need a family? Why do I need a church family? It's because the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we can help one another uh, when sin is rampant everywhere and the love is growing cold to keep our passion burning white hot and to keep following Jesus because, friend, I want you to endure to the end. I want you to make it and be saved. Let's go on. 
and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And it says, then, then I can return. And finishing the task of the Great Commission is inevitable. It's going to happen one of these days. The only question is which generation is going to have the privilege of, of doing it. Because there are still uh, people groups and areas that haven't heard the gospel. And they haven't heard Jesus. And we need to be praying about that. It's very difficult to, to reach them because they have no written word. Uh, they have a language that they don't let anyone else in. They don't teach that language to, to, anyone, to anyone else. But it's being accomplished, and people are accomplishing it, and it's getting done. And it will happen, because let me give you this future snapshot of heaven, because I just want you to see this. Is one of the 12 original guys that Jesus chose to follow him, they were called his disciples, one of them was named John. And John was the last of the original 12 to die. He died an older man. Everybody else was martyred for their faith. Peter, Thomas, Matthew, all the others. Uh, but John lived to be an old age and other history tells us and tradition tells us that they tried to martyr him and it wouldn't stick. <laughs> like they tried to kill him and they couldn't pull it off. And so they exiled him to an island in the Mediterranean. And when he's on that island, he gets a vision called revelation from God. And throughout many symbols, it explains what's gonna happen in the future and what it's going to be like in heaven. And in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about those events and talk about that revelation. But I just want to give you one glimpse where John uh, sees God's glorious plan for the future and one moment of what it's going to be like in heaven. And Revelation 7 says, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, watch this, from every nation and tribe and people and language, so it's got to happen, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, and we don't have to shout this yet, we can do it in heaven, but let's read this together right now, okay? Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. What does it mean from the Lamb? Well, in the Old Testament, once a year, a Lamb was chosen to be sacrificed as a symbol for forgiveness for the entire nation. Blood had to be shed. And it was a sacrificial lamb. And it was a symbol for what would happen on the cross. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, one day John the baptizer looked at him and said, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. And it's like follow, yes, follow his teaching. I said this a couple weeks ago, follow his character and his commandments and all these things, but even more so, like follow him because he's going to lead you to this, this place. Follow him to eternal life. And friends, I so, so badly want you to be at this event where we go, look, we made it and we don't deserve it. It was just God's free gift. And we'll say salvation comes from our God. He earned it for us. And we didn't save ourselves. We couldn't keep ourselves saved. We couldn't prepare this. Only Jesus could do this. And he did it out of his love and out of his holiness and for his glory. And at this moment where we'll look around and we'll say, yes, we needed a savior. We needed a savior. If we didn't need a savior, God wouldn't have wasted the time to come to earth and die on the cross 
and resurrect and ascend to heaven and prepare what he has prepared. If there were any other way to get to heaven, believe me, he would have offered it. But he says, you're looking at it the only way. I am the way. And God loves you so much that he came to earth so that ever, whoever could believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Let's praise him and thank him for it today. Heavenly Father, uh, we just back up and we thank you for our lives. We thank you for creating us. Just pray this in your heart and mind with me this morning. God, thank you for wanting me in your family forever. God, thank you for speaking up for me and being my advocate and interceding for me. And God, I believe that you are powerful. The one that is within me is greater than the one in the world. And you will not let me be snatched away. If you felt uh, the Holy Spirit convicting you, the Father drawing you back to him today, you want to respond to that just in this time of worship here and in your heart and mind right now, just turn back to God and say, God, I'm turning back to you today. God, I need you in my life. God, I, I want to stop rejecting you and I want to trust you. God, I've let so many doubts be driving my life. I want my faith to drive my life. Lord, I know I can't do any of these things. I can't save myself. I can't keep myself saved. I can't uh, prepare uh, a home for me in heaven. Only you can do that. And I'm trusting you to do that, Lord. And now let's just take on the responsibility that he's authorized us for. God, I, I don't want to reject this commission that you've given. And so, Lord, help me to be bold um, with the people you put in my path. Help me to be bold to go to new people and be a witness to what you've done in my life. God, take away all the fears of an argument I may have to win or questions I'll be asked and help me to be bold to just tell my story of, of salvation, of looking up to you and being redeemed and restored, fulfilled. Lord, we needed a savior and you became that savior. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.